This is the Transcend Human Podcast, a weekly show where we learn what it means to rise above the human condition. We hope the conversation today is just what you need for the week ahead. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Transcend Human Podcast. Great to have you with us. It is October 10th, 2022. Um, Not a bright, sunny morning here in Southern California. In fact, wildly overcast. Um, One of those mornings where you have a hard time waking up because the sun isn't there to aid you. And as you're waking up, you realize, wow, could we actually get rain today? And then you don't. But that's just the way it works. So glad to have you with us. Like I said, um, nothing housekeeping. So I think we're off. Minute of transparency, the in crowd. So remember back to your high school years, the world of high school, the clothes, the hair, the music, the cars, the nervousness, the excitement, the fake behavior, all of those things, right? All that good stuff that exists as we work through the individuation process cutting family ties and figuring out who we really are or who we want to be. And somewhere in there is that process of forming cliques, right? Small groups of people that either knowingly or unknowingly join together to take on the world. And these cliques often make it difficult for others to join, unless, of course, you share a very similar look, ideology, or skill. Now, according to the Chicago Tribune, there have been lots of research studies, but but the research study that they wrote about um, identified 12 of the most common cliques that you'll find in high schools. So these cliques are the populars, the jocks, the floaters, the good ats, the fine arts, the brains, the normals, the druggies or stoners, the emo or goths, the anime or manga, the loners, and then racial or ethnic groups. Now, if you attended a large high school like my kids do, anywhere from like 2,500 to 4,000 kids, you probably see each of these groups distinctly. But I attended a much different school. I went to a boarding academy outside of Chicago, a long way outside of Chicago. In fact, far enough to where we were in the middle of cornfields. And the school I had, I went to had just over 350 kids. And there was a mix of dormitory kids and community kids that would drive in to campus each day. And when I graduated, I walked with only 60 other students. So for me, things were a bit different because of the size of the school and the fact that we lived in a dormitory. In looking through the 12, I can definitely see that there were populars, there were jocks, There were brains, there were normals, a few druggies here and there, and a few emos. And then you had your really loose racial groups. But there was also a lot of overlapping, right? The popular kids were often the jocks and the brains. And yes, the emos were the first to try drugs and get others to join them. But there was a lot of overlapping, like I said. And the funny thing is that I can't even remember what group I was part of. I mean, I was good at sports. I got fairly good grades. I felt pretty normal, meaning average. I tried drugs and alcohol, and I spent a fair amount of time with my Filipino friend group. 
So maybe that's my answer. Maybe I was a floater, never 100% sure where I fit and who really wanted me in their group. But whatever the case, we look back and we understand, right? High school includes cliques. So what were you? What clique included you? Or what clique did you identify with? We're going to wrap this little piece of the episode up by returning to the Chicago Tribune article because there was an interesting twist to the article, one that made total sense to me. The title of the article is actually this. Study finds high school students form more cliques, but counselors say social media blurs the lines. So that should give you a little clue about where I'm headed. The study focused on the 12 cliques, breaking them into two categories. There were conventional cliques, so like populars, jocks, and goodettes. And then there was the countercultural cliques, cliques like the druggies and the emos and the goths. But then the study injected social media into the mix and the influence that it has had on these researched groupings. And they found some of the interesting stats, right? So here, here's some of the interesting things they found. First, social media has led to students comparing themselves to others more often than in previous generations. Next, cliques are a little less defined now than in the past because of social media. Next, social media has made it possible for entire classes to interact and blur the lines between groups. Next, many school counselors are seeing a move toward inclusivity compared to the cliques of the past. Pretty interesting, right? That there's this potential movement toward openness and acceptance. I mean, in this day and age, with the problems that we see in the world and the polarization that we see that exists on social media, it's really nice to hear that potentially in the teenage years, in the high school years, it's actually creating less polarization and some some acceptance and inclusivity. Good news to hear. So today's topic, if you were wondering is transcending the bubble. And the three things we're going to talk about today, first, bubble builders, second, blowing bubbles, and third, popping bubbles. Number one, bubble builders. In a previous life, I had given this episode the title, Transcending the Huddle. But for some reason, transcending the bubble just worked out better. Because it all starts with this concept of clicks. And I love that. I love that according to the study that we Uh, we looked at at the beginning, we seem to be moving toward inclusion. But historically, and even today, it's obvious that we love our bubbles, right? There's a really good chance that we came by it honestly. We've all heard it said that we're a relational bunch. As human beings, we're relational, right? We need other people. We need community. In fact, and this is the funny part, we literally have it built into the propagation of our species, right? It takes two humans. They have to meet, fall in love, decide to stay together. In turn, they procreate, build a family, and create this little clique that spends all of their time together. Until one of those children gets too old to leave the house and find someone for themselves. And then that branches off starting a new little family, a new little clique. So this concept is really foundational to the way we live. In fact, Another way to look at it is from the opposite perspective. In other words, does anything bad happen if we don't do it that way, if we aren't relational? And that is very obvious, right? Uh, What do we see when this whole cycle breaks down? 
kids who come from broken homes, abusive homes, kids who grow up in the foster system sometimes, right? These kids are often well-adjusted and ready to take on the world. No, of course not. No, we, we actually assume that these kids are going to have a little bit rougher time in life, right? Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't kids who go through these things and become fully functioning members of society. In fact, some of them thrive, and we look at them as amazing stories of people who made it through difficult things. But we all know the more common side effects, right? And we know that they're negative. Mental health struggles, addiction, low self-esteem, difficulties in school. So we can't blow off this concept, this idea that we're relational and that we need good, healthy relationships in order to survive. But let's put the family piece on the back burner for now, as it's really one of the topics that we could do an entire series on. And let's go back to the high school years, right? The cliques we talked about. How did these form and why? Well, it's my belief, and I believe the research would support this, that cliques that we form in high school are nothing more than a replacement for the families we're breaking away from. In other words, if the family is that important, and as a teenager, we're trying to break away from it or distance ourselves from it, then it makes total sense that we would create a new family in our own image or try to join a new family that we found that we resonated with, people that like us, look like us, treat us well, uh, do the same things that we do, etc. And so it goes with the individuation process. Some kids go through it unscathed, right? They find a good group to hang with. Each group member has a positive influence on the other, and it kind of keeps them out of trouble, and they're more likely to have a good high school experience. On the other hand, we all know what it looks like to pick the wrong friends, to fall in with the wrong group, right? Negative behavior is contagious, and before you know it, you're stuck, Maybe you find yourself in trouble much of the time, missing out on good high school experience that you thought you were going to have. As a clinician, unfortunately, these are the stories I heard all the time. Not the fun stories about high school, right? I heard the stories of pain, addiction, drama, anger, sadness, anxiety. And far too often, it was contagious within the friend group that they were part of. So yes, humans are bubble builders. And high school is prime time for building these bubbles. Then, as we move into the college years, right, we either continue in those bubbles, hanging out with the same kind of people, doing the same kinds of things, looking for the same types of relationships, or we make some adjustments. We look for some new connections. And then finally, as young adults, we enter the workforce, and again, we start looking for our people, right? We look for cliques to join, or we start our own. But at the end of the day, we find our bubbles. Number two, blowing bubbles. So when we look at the bubbles that we're part of and how they were formed, there seems to be some commonalities. Now, I'm not going to hit all of them, but here are just a few of the ways that I think that we blow bubbles, starting with cultural bubbles. So there's no getting around the fact that we huddle up, right? We huddle up with those who look like us, those who sound like us, those who behave like us. Typically, these distinctions group us into things like countries, right? Vast cultures where everyone's very similar. Think about it over in, in Europe, right? There are a lot of countries that are packed into a very small area. Each one has a distinct culture, often separated by language, right? So why hasn't all of Europe just become one huge melting pot of people? Well, on some level it has, but at the same time, 
they still remain in their formed bubbles. Even though people cross the bubbles and they, you know, interact with other people in other bubbles, the bubbles still exist. And the crazy thing is you could almost say the same thing about the 50 states within our country, especially today, since COVID, since the the political fallout of 2020, right? States have become more and more divided, typically along political lines, but just an added amount of division that we haven't really seen before. Now, sure, we're all part of the larger bubble of the United States culture, but we've created our own smaller bubbles called states within that larger bubble. And just to round out this section, there's the political bubbles that we find ourselves in, right? Political ideologies that are highly influenced by the culture we live in. But it can also be influenced by our race, our religion, and even the amount of money that we make. Next, we have racial bubbles. So this one should be very obvious, right? Bubbles are created based on skin color. There is comfort in conformity. And even though we believe in inclusion, even though we know that diversity is a good thing, why do we still clump up, right? You look at big cities, right? Densely populated cities, and they have Chinatown, Koreatown, Little Italy, and many, many more, right? Even in this progressive city of Irvine, California that I live in, uh, it's a city where white people literally make up only 45% of the population. Lots of people have moved here from China, Korea, and India, and they congregate in areas where they can be close to those who look like them and speak like them, right? There's a huge Mexican population in Santa Ana and LA. There's a very large Vietnamese population in the Fountain Valley Garden Grove area. In fact, on Google Maps, it's even called Little Saigon. As Caucasians, as a, as a white male, I don't fully understand this because I've lived in a country and I've lived in parts of the country where it was so white that there just didn't seem to be the need to clump up, right? You were already part of a large dominant clump of people that made up the country. Um, but in essence, we're really no different, right? There is comfort in familiarity, which is why there continues to be so many race-based communities. And if you look really close, even within the white culture, there are clumps of white people based on affinity, based on where they came from, based on religious beliefs, all sorts of things. Not to mention, and we won't spend a lot of time here, but in this country, there's there has been a history of systemic barriers put in place to keep minorities, the poor, and the different from social advancement. But that is a much larger topic, one that we would have to spend an entire episode unpacking, most likely. Next, we have religious bubbles. So this one should be pretty obvious, right? For those of you on TikTok, just search the hashtags exvangelical or exmo, and you'll start drinking from the fire hose of people who are deconstructing from the Christian and the Mormon movements. And the reason why I'm pointing you toward these cultures or these groupings of people is because they are very open and very raw about the bubble that they came out of, right? They're willing to speak openly and explain some of the difficulties and some of the detrimental behavior that exists in those communities, in those larger bubbles. And they're really forming small bubbles of their own, to be sure. Now, these bubbles, these larger bubbles, right, are very close to the ultimate religious bubble, which is the cult, 
right? Communities where people think alike, they lock themselves away and they believe that everyone else is an external threat to the things they believe. For me, uh, growing up Seventh-day Adventist had a slightly similar vibe to it, right? For years, I lived in Hinsdale, Illinois, and there was an entire part of that city that was Seventh-day Adventist. It's where all of the Seventh-day Adventist people lived. Many worked in the Hinsdale Sanitarium and Hospital. Their kids went to Hinsdale Junior Academy, and we all went to church at Hinsdale SDA Church. All of this within walking distance, right? A few years later, we moved to Berrien Springs, Michigan, yet another Seventh-day Adventist community. Uh, elementary schools, a high school, Andrews University, Pioneer Memorial Church, Village Church, All Nations Church. They even had a McDonald's that sold veggie burgers before it was even a thing. And they had a grocery store there called Apple Valley, I think, um, that catered directly to the dietary needs of traditional Seventh-day Adventist families. For many years of my life, I just looked at this as normal. But at some point, even my mom made statements like, we do kind of live in a bubble. Because it was, right? There was comfort living around people who had the same beliefs, sent their kids to the same schools, and didn't judge you for some of your unique sets of beliefs. The funny thing is, what happened next? I got married, and we started our family in the greater South Bend area in Indiana, a city built around a large university called Notre Dame. So yes, it was like moving from Veggieville, as we affectionately called Berrien Springs, to Little Vatican City, an area that had numerous Catholic elementary schools, uh, high schools, and along with that, a high percentage of the people identifying as Catholic. In fact, the NBC affiliate station in South Bend is called WNDU for obvious reasons, Notre Dame University. It's not hard to see how religious communities become little bubbles where people huddle together. And finally, we have affluence bubbles. So this one should be obvious as well, right? People cluster in areas where they can live around people with similar socioeconomic worth. Again, comfort comes with familiarity. Everything in the bubble makes sense to people like this, right? In higher bracket areas, the restaurants are more expensive. The, the car dealerships include Maserati and Land Rover. Um, you, you can get high dollar fashion. In these areas, it, it just all works. But again, it's a bubble, right? People all start looking the same. They start driving the same cars. And unfortunately, a lot of them view the world the same way, even if it's a way that's a little out of touch with reality. I mean, we live in an area, Irvine, California, that is way above our pay grade. And we talk about this all the time, Tammy and I, that we live in this bubble and we can't view this as normal or even right. We're humbled that we get to live here and we don't take it for granted because it is beautiful. But all we have to do is drive around Newport Beach or past the resorts at Pelican Hill and you realize just how out of your league you really are. Okay, I think we'll stop there for now. Um, we could obviously go on and talk about addiction bubbles, sports team bubbles, lake life bubbles, salt life bubbles, Pacific Northwest bubbles, the Jeep wave bubble. I mean, there's all sorts of bubbles that we can be part of in life, right? But I really think that the first four we discussed are the most important, the ones that have a pretty big impact on who we are and how we view the world around us. Number three, popping bubbles. So the obvious next step is what to do about it, right? 
If we're part of these bubbles, is that okay? Or do we need to pop the bubbles and live outside of them? Well, the simple answer is yes, we should pop our bubbles. Now, I'm not saying you have to cut off all of your connections, live by yourself, and spend every waking hour making sure that your every thought is original and that you aren't being assimilated into anyone else's bubble at any time. But at the same time, you may be living in a bubble or two that you can't even see. Or, better said, you're living in a bubble that has a real hold on you and you don't even realize how bad it has become. Like I said, Tammy and I moved here from the Midwest, right? And when we were living there, we, we got to the place where we realized what kind of a bubble we were actually living in, right? It was a, there was a huge focus on living the comfortable life, doing all the right things, the suburban things, attending the big popular church, running all of your kids through the travel sports programs. And the list goes on and on and on. It was all about putting money aside to, to build that nest egg so that you have the perfect little life in the nice house with the picket fence. Now, moving to California immediately popped that bubble, right? And for a while, it felt really good, right? We were living with eyes wide open, expanding our horizons, experiencing diversity, and not only in, in the races that we lived with, but the political differences and the political diversity. Um, it was amazing. And being exposed to a much more broad set of um, just worldwide cultural ideologies, but you bring your baggage with you, right? You can't just move and expect all of your baggage to remain at the previous location. After being here for six years, you can actually see it creeping back in. This desire for comfortable living, trying to do more, make more, have more, put, a more, put more away for, for your future, right? It's a constant battle um, to keep yourself focused on the things that we came here for, for simplicity, authenticity, and adventure, right? And this is really the danger that I feel when it comes to bubbles. But here's a few more of the dangerous elements of bubbles. First, hiding in a bubble your whole life, right? There, there are people who literally grow up in a little town. They go to high school there. They, they Maybe they leave and go to college and come back and get a job, and they spend the rest of their life living in this little bubble, which is great. It's a, it's a fun little story about living in a small town your whole life. But what does that come with for you, right? What, what are the negatives that um, go along with living in that bubble and never stepping outside of it? Is there a chance that you could be missing out on some of the things that God actually planned for you in your life? Number two, disillusionment from being in the bubble so long. So it's very easy when you're part of a small community for a long period of time, you can become jaded about the world. You can perceive the world incorrectly. Uh, you can you can live your life based on lies, in fact. In, in some of these super dogmatic religious communities, people have lived years and years of their lives living lies. And once they finally open their eyes and, and break through that barrier, they're they're horrified. They look back and they're like, I can't believe I wasted the last 15 years of my life, you know, living that way and treating people that way or, or whatever the case may be. Number three, failing to take risks. So living in a bubble of comfort for too long can make us soft, right? We stop taking risks in, in favor of just status quo, just keep everything the same. Uh, we, we wouldn't want to do anything different because that brings about risk. And finally, Growth doesn't happen without struggle. 
Now, I know this is a hard one to hear, right? Discomfort is actually a requirement if we plan to mature. Struggles, pain, suffering, persecution, all of those things help grow us up. So sitting back in an easy chair and just like letting the comfort wash over us doesn't produce growth. It actually creates stagnation. So let's wrap things up by returning to the conversation we had about the title of this episode. So I said that originally I wanted to call it transcending the huddle, right? But then I later decided on the word bubble because it was closer to the problem that I saw. But let's let it come full circle by doing this. What if we choose to pop our bubbles by engaging in huddles? Let me say that again. What if we chose to pop our bubbles and engage in huddles? So here's what I mean. A huddle is a better illustration of the way that we should be living our lives. Everyone needs a huddle every now and then, right? From family to friends to coworkers to, you know, uh, groups of people based on a, an interest or a skill, right? We start out as individuals doing our own thing, living with an open mind. But then from time to time, we huddle up to rest, relax, and recharge and plan. In football, what happens in the huddle, right? Players join together in a common cause. Each of them separately is an individual. They have skills. They do their own thing. But when it's time to get in the huddle, they all come together. They take a breath or two. And they create a play. They plan. What are we going to do to take the next step? And it's a play that sends each member of the team back out into the battle in order to make progress, in order to move the ball down the field. The huddle isn't the goal. And even the plays that are run are just a means to an end. The goal is moving the ball from where you received it to the other end of the field, scoring points, touchdowns, field goals, etc. In life, We huddle up, right? We run plays and we keep our eyes on the ultimate goal. Now, this goal may be different for each of us, but the goal should be the goal. Now, what I said about the huddle not being the goal, that's really the crux of this whole thing. That's why I didn't call this episode Transcending the Huddle. Because I feel like a huddle is a good thing. It's the bubble. It's the bubble that you live in. The bubble actually becomes the goal, right? To stay in that bubble, to do the right things, say the right things, be the right kind of people. You get locked in that bubble and that's the negative piece of it. That's the part that we're trying to avoid. But huddles are great. Huddles are ways to enter the bubble, if you will, get what you need out of it, be what you need to be to other people within that bubble. And then you go back out and you do your own thing right? So let's land the plane. First off, thanks for joining us this week. Love having you with us on the podcast every week. Um, This week isn't rocket science. Just ask yourself the following questions. Uh, First, what bubbles were you raised in? Second, are there bubbles that you're still part of? And finally, how can you pop the bubbles that have a grip on you and are squeezing the life out of you? And that's it. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward this week. Like I said, thanks again for joining us. Uh, Can't wait for the next few weeks. Got some fun stuff lined up. Um, But until next time, everyone, have a great week. And as always, keep transcending here.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Transcend Human podcast. If you're interested in the show notes for this episode, head on over to transcendhuman.com forward slash podcast and navigate to the episode you're looking for. On the website, you'll also find blog posts, podcast series, and other helpful resources to help you navigate the Transcend Human ecosystem. You'll also find links to our social media channels. And as always, if you have questions, feel free to contact us at info at transcendhuman.com. Have a great week, everyone, and we'll see you back here on Monday morning.